Good morning. My name is Ryan. I have the privilege of continuing our series called Time to Grow, where we've been walking through Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. And Rob and David have done a really good job over the last few weeks beginning to go through those fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And now I have the opportunity this morning to speak on kindness. And kindness and Mother's Day seem to go hand in hand quite well, don't you think? When we think of our mothers, kindness definitely comes to mind, though it's not just kindness. They are gentle and strong. And then I'd like to suggest that there's also this other side of our mothers, this mother bear side of our moms. You know what I'm talking about? That side where you really don't want to get in the, in the way. And if you're familiar with my family and my mom, you may be surprised that she has a mother bear side of her too. Four kids, it's going to come out at some point. And it's true, it, it did come out. Unfortunately, my brothers and I, my sister is, is exclude, excluded from this, but my brothers and I pushed her to the limit where we got to see Mama Bear. And like all good stories, the police are involved. <laughs> like all good stories, a girl is involved. And that girl just happens to be the girl that I ended up marrying, my wife, Catherine. And so it goes something like this. We are, our property that my parents still live on, it's about an acre, it's got 100 trees, and so we were... Uh, we were just prime target number one for that time-honored tradition of toilet papering each other's homes. And so some of the girls' teams had decided they were going to hit our house, and they did a really, really good job at it. And then we have to, as, as sons, we have to, our responsibility is that we have to clean it up. And I think it took us a day or two to get there, and it rained. And so now we're having to pick up all the toilet paper after the rain. And so we said, enough is enough. Vengeance was going to be ours. And so we devised a plan. We did not include mom and dad on the plan. Uh, we set our alarms for 2 a.m. We woke up. We had the perfect uh, vehicle for this, the family van. We went to Walgreens, got all the ammunition that we needed, and then proceeded to go out to where my wife, uh, when she was growing up, where she lived. And a group of girls had, had been, were there staying the night. And so it was the perfect time to get them. We had the perfect plan. We even, when we parked the, the van, we parked on the side of the road facing uh, towards our getaway destination, and we left the doors open because we were like, we're going to get in and we're going to get out and no one's going to find us. And so we started in the back. We made sure everybody was asleep. And then we weren't two rolls in, two toilet paper rolls in, and we see what's affectionately known as berries and cherries, or the police, <laughs> thankfully no lights on, rolling, coming down the road. And so we realized we were, we were caught, and we ended, I go out to the police officer and you know, officer, what seems to be the issue? You know, ask that question. And uh, apparently someone had called in a, a, a van that was parked on the side of the road with the doors open. So our perfect plan was, was our downfall, and the police officer ended up having to call our parents at 3 a.m., waking them up. They're not obviously happy about this. We drive home with the police officer behind us, and we come into the house, and we don't find anyone. And so we go to the door of our parents' bedroom, and the way I remember it, it's a little sketchy. You know, I, was, I tried to keep this out of my mind. But Dad comes out. Usually Dad was the one we were a little afraid of when it came to discipline. Dad comes out, and he doesn't say a word. So like, where's Mom? Well, Mom, after a minute or two, Mom comes out of the bedroom. And I honestly don't remember a word she says. I think I just pushed it down deep where I, I can't remember, like self-preservation. I don't know what happened. I remember it was the first, maybe the first and only time I've ever thought that my mom doesn't love me anymore <laughs> because of what we did. And then she proceeds to go back in the bedroom and 
this may be more of a Father's Day story, but I remember Dad then kind of almost looking to see if Mom was in there and then asked the question, so how did, how did it go? <laughs> so you can see what side of the family we get that from. But yeah, our mothers, mothers are definitely in mind when we have, we're thinking through this idea of kindness. And kindness seems to be one of those topics that should be fairly easy to define. We feel like we, when we see it, we know that kindness is there. And I thought the same as I was preparing for this. But then as I began to look around culture and see some of the different maxims that we use for kindness, it didn't quite seem to mesh up. Here was the first one that came to mind. If you are a child of the 90s like I am, you know that VHS tapes had this label on there, a sticker that said, be kind, rewind. Be kind, rewind. The idea was when you rented a VHS tape and you were going to sit down and watch it, you didn't want to put it in, push play, and then see credits rolling. The idea was you're going to rewind it back. Be kind, rewind. Or if you're familiar with daytime television, you may know Ellen DeGeneres or watch her show, and at the end of every show, she closes by saying, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. But then you also get sayings that say this, kill them with kindness. Does that seem somewhat ironic to you? Kill them with kindness? Kill them with kindness. Or you have this one, a random act of kindness. Okay, to what, to what degree do we go with that? How random do we need to be for our random act of kindness? And all these different ideas of kindness or definitions of kindness are coming to my mind. They don't seem to mesh up. And then I, I get a text with this picture. Uh, my parents were in Springfield, Illinois, and took this picture of a homeless man at a stoplight with a sign. If you can't read it, it says, Homeless Seeking Human Kindness. Homeless Seeking Human Kindness. So what are we supposed to do when we see this? Ellen says, we need to be kind to one another. Are we supposed to kill this man with kindness? Are we supposed to do some sort of random act of kindness? What are we, what are we supposed to do with him? And his sign says, seeking human kindness. I'm a human. You guys are humans, I assume. And so it, what do we do? My, any sort of kindness that I can demonstrate, I know is going to be fallible. I know it's not going to be good. It's not really what he's looking for. So though what A.W. Tozer says, he says, it's so our ideas of kindness are brain deep, but not necessarily life deep. They don't make sense. They don't really flesh out when we're, when we're faced with some of these situations in life. So to come back to the question, what does it mean to be kind? Thankfully, our text we've been going through in Galatians 5 does a really good job of describing that. So if you've got a Bible or device, go ahead and open up to Galatians 5. This important text that we've been going through. Uh, Rob and David have done a really good job providing the context for the purpose of this letter. Paul's writing to the people in Galatia. And the way that I, I were to summarize it is Paul is writing to a group of people, very, very similar to us, that struggle with the idea of being intentional and living our life really the way that it's, it's supposed to be lived. We make important things, non-important things. We get sideways in our understanding of what it means to live the Christian life. And so Paul writes this letter in an effort to try to clear that up for us. And then in verses 16 to 25, the verses we've been focusing over on over the last couple weeks, he begins this contrast between a spirit-filled life, a life that's controlled and driven by the spirit, and then a flesh-filled life, when our sinful nature begins to work out. And so the, the fleshiness of us, he just he lists a long list of things that that looks like, and then the spirit-filled life, he lists a, a bunch of things that go with that. And then he bookends both, both descriptions, the contrast, with 
this ultimately what makes the, the biggest difference, the, the context for the whole passage, which is the Spirit. So let's read it, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, when I read that text, specifically verses 22 and 23, I, I memorized those as a kid with GT in the Sunshine Van, those kids' praise tapes uh, going around the family van. I, I memorized it. But now I feel like as I've gotten older, when I, when I say that verse, I say it a little bit differently. I end up saying it this way, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, uh, uh, self-control. It's as though I forget the middle, those middle fruit as though they're less important. Maybe they are a little bit less tangible. We, when we see love, we, we know what it means, or patience, or self-control, but it's so we've missed some of those fruit. It's almost as though that I take some of the fruit and grade myself on them. You might how loving am I, how patient am I, how much self-control am I demonstrating. But in reality, that's, that's not really what it is at all. The, the scripture says, that the text says it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. Not the fruit. So it's, it's, it's all supposed to be in the same context. And instead of it being a grade on a grade card, it's more likely to, I see it more as, a, as puzzle pieces. Whereas we put the puzzle pieces together, we begin to get a better understanding, a better visual of what a spirit-filled life looks like. Ultimately, we see, I think we see the picture of Jesus. And we'll get to that in a bit. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be kind? I think we have to start at the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about being kind? And the, the Bible is this grand narrative of, of, of God and how much he loves us. And so surely that's got to be in there. And it is. Uh, I find myself going to Psalm 34.8. It says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is... And I, when I memorized it, it was taste and see that the Lord is good. But the same Hebrew word for good can also be translated kind. Taste. Get a good taste and see that, how kind the Lord is. Or Proverbs 21, 21 says this, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. If we pursue kindness, we, we find it. Or in Hosea 11, 4, if you, read the, if you were staying up with the Read Scripture app, you would have read this chapter and verse this past week where God is talking about his wayward nation, his wayward children, and how he wraps his arms around them. He says this, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. Wraps his kindness around us. Or in the New Testament, Romans 2 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is meant to lead you and me to repentance. As you read this text, do you, you see the theme developing as I do, where God is leading, he's directing, he's pursuing, he's literally reaching out to us, showing his loving kindness. We, a, lot, a lot of times we see it's not just kindness, it's defined as loving kindness or kindness is said to be the way that love behaves. 
the way that love behaves. So maybe the better question is, for Jesus, what does it mean to be kind? Well, if you're like me, I would want to see the disciples' perspective. Don't you want to be them, have, have been walking with Jesus over those three years of his ministry, to see everything that he did and to go where he went and to see his heart being expressed? And I think if we were to ask the disciples, if we get to, we get to talk with them in heaven, I think they, they very well may point us to this 24-hour period that it's described and written for us in Luke 8. So if you want to turn there, you'll see that there are three different accounts of Jesus, accounts that we've been, we're very familiar with, Jesus calming a storm, Jesus interacting with a demon-possessed man, Jesus having this special interaction with this, this woman that's bleeding. And so I'm going to pick it up in verse 22. It says this, One day he got into a boat, this is Jesus, with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. Okay, I think that's important. We'll come back to that in a second. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. We'll come back to that too. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and waters? And they obey him. Uh, the first thing, when I read that text that, that jumps out to me is that Jesus was asleep. You notice that? He's in a boat, asleep. I mean, he's healing people. He's walking around. He's doing a lot of stuff. He's, he's a tired guy. And so he falls asleep. But this isn't any normal boat. This is not a carnival cruise line where he's out on a deck chair falling asleep. I'm not sure how many, how many opportunities you had to be on a real fishing vessel, an all-wood fishing vessel before. I find it very surprising that anyone could fall asleep. My wife and I, we were missionaries in Haiti for three years prior to coming back here to New Hope. And I had the opportunity to ride in a Haitian fishing, I don't know what you want to call it, boat. Definitely wasn't a ship. And we went to a, across the channel to an island, the island called Tortuga. We we're just going to have a, a day at the beach. And the, the travel there was great. Two hours of going with the current, going with the wind, get some sun. It's just it's a really just a, a fun time. We get there, we eat lunch, we have a beach day, we, we go around, and then late afternoon it's time to go back. But this time you're going against the wind, against the current. We're having to tack multiple times. And it's in situations like that you begin to realize if you're a person that gets seasick or not. I have not experienced that up until this point. And it was about half hour in to the boat when we really start going up and down. No storm. It's perfectly sunny outside, but we're starting to go up and down. That I feel my stomach turn. That kind of stomach turn where you realize that it's just inevitable. It doesn't matter how much you fight it, that what you had for lunch is it's now on the inside is soon going to be on the outside. And there's no place to run, no place to hide. It was the longest four hours of my life. Uh, my, my, I was with my family, and I was, I was, it was not a good experience. But it, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even raining. It wasn't even storming. And yet Jesus is asleep on the boat. But it's interesting. When he wakes, right, they, they, the disciples shake him, and he wakes. What does he do? He stands up. And I like to think he rebukes the waves. He reaches out. He literally puts his hands out and rebukes them. And they're calm like that. Have you ever experienced that before? Jesus, interacting with Jesus, and he steps into your chaotic world. Everything's whirling, churning, the water that's keep getting in the boat. Have you ever had the opportunity where he, he really steps in and calms, settles your heart? What does it mean to be kind? Jesus, the same God who calmed the storm, 
can, can calm the storm in our life. It's not just inanimate things, it's also our heart. He's calming the storm physically, but in the disciples' hearts, he's calming their hearts as well. It's interesting, too, if you, if you jump down a few verses, it says, he awoke, he rebuked the wind and the waves, they ceased, there was a calm, and he said to them, where was your faith? And then it says, and they were afraid. Now, the, the waters are, everything's calm, and yet now the disciples say that they are afraid. What are they afraid of? They're not afraid of the storm outside the boat. They are afraid, or they have a healthy fear of the God that's inside the boat. They're afraid of the God that's inside. They, have this, they, they see Jesus as he really is, and they get a healthy fear. What does it mean to be kind? I think the disciples would say that it this way. Kindness is calming the storms of life like Jesus did. Kindness is calming the storms of life like Jesus did. Here's how that, what that means for us practically. We have to put Jesus in our boat. We're not off sailing on our own, going where we want. We put Jesus in the boat of our lives. We allow him to settle all the uneasiness, the fear, the nerves, the anxiety. We let him settle all that, calm it. We find our identity in him, and then we're able to go out to the other people through the, through the power of the Spirit, and now we're able to be agents of change for them. If we keep reading in Luke 8, we see that Jesus, he goes from Galilee, deals with the storm, and now comes to this area called the Decapolis. Um, it is a non-Jewish area, because we'll see pigs later on in the story. And it's not the most friendly area, and as Jesus comes in, he's met by two men. Only one speaks, but they are described as being demon-possessed. This means they're naked. This means they cut themselves. They have scars all over their body where they cut themselves with rocks. They live in tombs, often caves. That's where they live. And it talks about the local people have tried to put restraints on, and they physically break them. Break them. And so as Jesus goes from the storm, one storm to another figure of storm, again, we ask the question, what does it mean to be kind, especially to people like this? Well, I mentioned earlier that I've spent time in Haiti, um, and when I was there, you quickly get, get a, a good understanding that Haiti can be a very, very dark place, especially spiritually. The idea of voodoo is real. The idea of demon possession is real. The idea of these dark forces or zombies, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a real thing. My students really believed in that stuff. It, it's, it's just part of the fabric of culture. And so when I was there, I had the opportunity to step into a voodoo ceremony during the middle of the day and watch what, what took place. And so there are drum, a lot of drums, there's a lot of dancing, uh, there's a, definitely a sexual nature to it. And I found myself, as I'm walking out, I'm wondering, what, God, what do you want me to do with this? What do I say to people about this? How do I respond to this? I think those questions that I asked at that ceremony are very similar to the questions that the people in this town dealing with these demon-possessed men were asking, what do we do with these people? What do we, what do, we do with these guys? We, we push them to the edge of society and we still can't even restrain them. What do we do? I think the, that same question applies to us with the difficult people in our life. You ever find yourself asking, what do, we, what do I do with this person? What do I say? How do I respond with this idea of kindness? How, would, how does love behave in this situation? Well, Jesus shows us, and he shows us beginning back in verse 22. If you hop back up there, when he went, when he's, before he calmed the storm, it says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples. He said to them, Let us go across the other side of the lake. Why in the world would this God-man decide to go on the other side of the lake when he knows he's in friendly territory? He's going to then have to deal with all the chaos of the, of the storm. And then he comes and has to deal with these 
demon-possessed men. Say it a different way. The God of the Bible, through the person of Jesus, decides that he's going to deal with this all the storm so that he can step in to the mess of these demon-possessed men and show them his heart. Let me say it a different way. Jesus is willing to go, with that, go whatever lengths, whatever storm, so that he can come into your life in your mess and he can show you his heart. That's what he does. That's what, that's, what, that's what Jesus, that's what loving kindness is all about. See, I love this narrative because I see myself as the man of the tombs. I don't know if you do. I'm the person that hurts myself with the decisions I make. I'm the person that cannot be restrained. I, I want to go my own direction, do my own thing. And yet, Jesus, relationship with Jesus allows him to come into my life and clean it all up and give me a new heart and a new mind. What does it mean to be kind? I think the man of the tombs would say it this way, kindness is reaching out to hurting people like Jesus did. Kindness is reaching out to hurting people like Jesus did. So it may, this sort of discussion makes me come back to this picture of the man holding the sign, the homeless man. Homeless seeking human kindness. Step into his shoes for a moment. What, what, is, what would it be like? Shunned, ignored. How many cars, how many cars drive by? How many times have you or I driven by? I'm not saying that what, what we necessarily need to do, but he's obviously asking for something, needing something. He says human kindness. I would like to think it's, it's got to be more than that. He's looking for the kindness that only God can give. See, we interact with those people, these kind of people all the time. We see them. We don't necessarily know what to do. Jesus had those same sort of interactions. We see this in Luke 8 as well. After he's had a chance to calm the storm, then uh, work with the demon-possessed men, now he goes back to where he originally came, and the crowds are waiting for him, as they always are, because they want to see him do miracles. They know that he is, uh, is special in a lot of ways. And there's a local synagogue ruler there that gets Jesus' attention. His daughter is dying, and he wants... Jesus to come and heal his daughter, and Jesus obliges him, and so they're beginning to walk towards this, and the crowds are, are, are just all around him, and then a woman enters the story, a woman that's described as having a, a bleeding disease for a long time. And what's different about this is though Jesus has reached out in the storm and reached out to the demon-possessed man, we see this woman reaching out. Now she is reaching out to him. She wants to touch him. She wants to be healed. Now remember, when we're talking about uh, a woman suffering from a bleeding disease like this, that means that she's unclean. Socially, she is unclean. She's not allowed to go into God's presence. She can't go in the temple. She's an outcast that way. She can't be around other people. Anything or any person that she touches is made unclean. So now they can't get into the presence of God. I mean, she is completely pushed to the side. She is unclean, yet... And we find her in the very place that she's not supposed to be. She's in the middle of the people. She doesn't care who she has, what she has to do or who she has to push through because she just wants to touch him. And it's interesting. What does Jesus do? He, he heals her, but more than that, he, he wants to find her. He's looking for her. He's asking, Peter, what, who? Somebody's here. And sure enough, he puts his eyes on her. And he heals her, but he sees her. And he, then he shows Shows her his heart. What does it mean to be kind? I think this woman would say it this way. Kindness is expressing the heart of God like Jesus did. 
Kindness is expressing the heart of God, like Jesus did. See, if we go back to our earlier definitions of, of, from culture, a random act of kindness, thank goodness that Jesus did never demonstrate a random act of kindness. From the cross and all the way through the New Testament, he was very intentional with everything he did. Kill them with kindness? Jesus didn't do that. He met people where they are, looked at them, and expressed the heart of God. So how do we do it? How do we show kindness like Jesus did? How do we reach out to people like Jesus did? How do we express the heart of God like he did? Well, thankfully, in this same text, back in Galatians, we see this. Paul, Paul doesn't leave us with, without an answer. In verses 16 and 25, he says, Walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus says a little bit differently in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. I like reading the message version. It says this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, when I think about that, of, being, of, of staying in step with the Spirit, I, I picture a couple dancing You've got a, a woman and a man, and they, they know the steps, and one of them is leading. And when everything is going as it should, man, it is beautiful. It's beautiful to see that. I think the same is true with our relationship with Jesus through the Spirit. We let him lead. We stay in step with him, as Paul says. We keep it simple, and it can be a very beautiful thing. Now, in my mind, when I, when I think about dancing and keeping it simple... I go to a scene in the movie Hitch. If you're familiar with the movie Hitch, you've got Will Smith, who is a guru at helping men equip themselves to engage with the woman of their dreams and to win her heart. And he's met in, a, in this movie with a special case. This is Kevin James' character called Albert. And Albert is, let's just say he's difficult, he's a little peculiar, and he struggles mightily with his ability to interact with the opposite sex. And so... Will Smith is meeting with Albert, and they are working through this almost inventory of what, he, what kind of skills he has and what he doesn't have. And Albert says, hey, we, we can just skip the chapter on dancing. I've got it. You don't need to worry about it. Let's just go on to the next one. And Will Smith's like, as a good teacher, says, hold on, stop. And he turns on some music and lets Albert, lets Albert dance so we can see what he's, what he's doing. For some reason, this comes to mind. I'll let you guys take a look. So this is what Rob gets for letting me preach. I think that's, that has to be the best bit of acting ever. Because Will Smith doesn't laugh. It's all ad lib. It's all happening and somehow he doesn't laugh. Anyway, the reason why it comes up, it's not just to, to, to get a laugh during the service. It's because this. Will Smith says, hey, you just got to keep it simple. I think we need to keep it, keep it simple. How do we do that? Well, Paul tells us, walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We stay right here. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. And it's important. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We can't afford to let the heart of God go unexpressed. That, that's our job. We are the hands and feet. Man, we, we put paint to what the Spirit wants to do and the people we interact with. So as we seek to walk by the Spirit... And live by the Spirit. And yes, this week you will picture that video and you will see me doing this and hopefully you'll remember it. Okay, let me challenge you with this question. 
What act of kindness have you left undone? What act of kindness have you left undone? Or this week, it needs to be the week where we, we get it done. Or let me ask it a different way. Who do you need to reach out to? Like Jesus, through the Spirit, how, who are we called to reach out to? How will you, how will I, express the heart of God to others this week? Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your son who demonstrated what loving kindness is all about. He showed us how love behaved on the cross. He gave us a reason to live. has given us a new identity. So Father, we're thankful for passages like Galatians 5 that teach us and show us that it is our job to express your heart as we enter into a closer and closer relationship with you. We're thankful for that, Father, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.